Good morning, Ventura. This morning we come again to our study continuing on in the church in the end times. We're studying through the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, where we come to the fourth church, the church of Thyatira. If you don't have your scripture with you, I also have put the passage on the screen behind me for your reference. Revelation chapter 2, we're starting in verse 18. Here is the letter to the church of Thyatira. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I'm not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery, just as I have received this from my father. I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This morning we come to the church of Thyatira. It is the fourth of the seven churches that we've been studying through. And Thyatira is again a city in Asia Minor along with the other churches are in cities in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Thyatira is not a city known for its location, being that its beauty or its prominence. It was more of a military outpost that was set in place in the time of Alexander the Great in the time of Greece. And as the city began to grow, it began to be more populated. And again, the city is going to be dealing with much of what we have already talked about in the previous churches, in the previous struggles, dealing with the culture and the, um, the society of the Roman Empire and what they were dealing with. If you haven't listened to the other messages we've done on this series on former churches, I, I would um, recommend that you go back online and listen to those. And as we continue even in this series, understanding these churches, all there's an important message for us to consider as these letters are written to these churches. The Thyatira is going to be known for its trades, its guilds. They actually have a quite an interesting um, 
identification with being able to work with metals, with irons, with bronze, which is even brought up in this letter. And the author is none other than the Son of God, as we saw right there in the beginning. Thus says the Son of God, whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. When the apostle John writes in Revelation 1 and makes a description of Jesus when he sees him, he has fire in his eyes and he has bronze feet. This is, again, Jesus, the Son of God, who is writing to the church of Thyatira. And he says right off the bat in verse 19, I know your works. Jesus, the Lord, knows intimately his bride. He is with her. He sees her. He experiences the hurt she feels, and he knows how she is growing. And he tells her, I know your love, your faithfulness, your service, and your endurance. How amazing if the letter stopped there. If the Lord were to write a letter to you, Ventura, and he states in there, I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance. How encouraging would that be for us? How amazing to know that our God sees and he knows and he's wanting us to continue to grow in that fashion and those fruit. And he says, I know that your last works are greater than your first. The fact of the matter is that the church of Thyatira is dealing with something that is aggressive and hard, but there is a remnant there. And they are committed to growing in love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. And the Lord says, your last works are building upon themselves so that your last works are even greater than your first works. You are growing in this. You are growing in your love and your faithfulness. But, verse 20, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman, Jezebel. What I'd like to do in this sermon is um, speaking about the letter of the church at Thyatira. I'm going to focus on three main points here today that I hope you can go home with and be encouraged with. First of all, the church at Thyatira tolerated Jezebel. We're going to talk about that, what that means, and what that means even for us as we look at our church. How the church in Thyatira was to be distinct, distinct from the world, distinct from the Roman Empire in which they resided in. And then thirdly, how the church of Thyatira and you and me have been given, will be given authority, authority in this world. So first of all, I want to talk about how Jesus commends the church, but then he turns sharply in verse 20 and says that they tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives the servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. This isn't new, right? We've talked about these things. Timothy talked about it last week in Pergamum. This, this is the culture in Rome. What, is, what does he mean by Jezebel? Well, there's two different ways we we can interpret Jezebel here. In either case, it works because Jesus' message is still going forward. 
Now, either when Jesus is addressing the church and speaking of Jezebel, he's talking about a literal woman in their midst at this church, a literal physical woman who maybe has power, influence, perhaps she's wealthy, and she's gathering with this group of believers in Thyatira, and she's telling them and teaching them and deceiving them that they can have both God and the world at the same time, that they can be a part of Christ and his glory, but at the same time indulge in the pagan practices and the idolatrous ways of the Roman Empire. Perhaps her name really is Jezebel, or perhaps Jesus is speaking of her as if, boy, she looks like Jezebel. And if you have read through the Old Testament or studied the Israelite history, immediately what pops into mind is Jezebel, the woman who married King Ahab and who ushered in and brought in all kinds of Baal worship and idolatry into Israel, caused King Ahab to stumble and caused Israel to stumble with Baal worship. She brought in her own prophets and she killed all the prophets of God. And during that time, was it so it were, she thought she had killed all the prophets of God. And God spoke of King Ahab and says, No king before you has sinned to this degree where you have married Jezebel and tolerated her sin. And here, Jezebel is being spoken, spoken of to the church of Thyatira. And if they know the Jewish history, they would take this very seriously. That's the first view. She's an actual woman. The second view is, is that it's potentially a group of people who are within the church, who are teaching, who are influencing the rest of the church members to embrace pagan idolatry, immoral sexual practices, while also being a part of the church and holding on to God. And that when Jesus sees this group of people, he personifies them as it looks like Jezebel. It looks like her work is being done in the midst of you. You cannot tolerate her. In either case, again, Jesus' point is being driven home. Do not tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. If we would, just for a moment, I think it's really helpful for us to place ourselves into the context, into the culture of what they're dealing with. And if I, we do, I hope that you would actually start to feel sorry for our brothers and sisters in Thyatira and in the other churches for that case. The Roman Empire is an empire that embraces this idea of accepting religions, of accepting different beliefs. You can believe what you want to believe about that. Come and join us. It's this syncretism of all these different gods and deities that can coexist with Rome. And as they bring everyone in, saying you can believe what you want to believe, accept what you want to accept, but we all come together, and at the nucleus of this society, what is the beating heartbeat of Rome is this intimate idea of giving themselves to sexual immorality, into the pleasures of the flesh, to eating and idolatry. These are the things that make Rome what is Rome. And the church of Thyatira is right in the middle of them. We're actually not that far removed today, are we? In some cases, we are. 
You know, in Holland, we're, we're pretty far removed in some cases from what would be explicit sexual conduct or sexual immorality that takes place. We're in kind of a conservative belt here, aren't we? You know, but a lot of the world isn't. I remember growing up in Brazil, and as a missionary kid, one thing that my family did not do is we did not go to the beaches. And I understand Holland, there can be bad beaches here too, but one thing that was a no-go for us was the beaches in Brazil because of nudity in the nude beaches. It was a common accepted thing there. I remember being a little child, packed into the back of my car as my mom and my dad were driving us to church on Sunday morning, and my mom and my dad would all of a sudden say, oh, everyone look right, everyone look over here, kids, you see that, look over there. And I did not understand as a kid, but would later find out it's because of massive billboards that would be on the side of the highway with explicit sexual content. And my mom and my dad, my dad, getting ready to preach a sermon that Sunday morning, on his way, taking his family to church, driving, it's right there. It's part of the culture. It's who they are. And to get that out of the way and try to deviate the eyes of his children to not see it so that we can go to church and worship God and not be like the culture that we're in, but to be distinct from that culture. Our brothers and sisters in Thyatira, many of them are living in a culture that has pervasive sexual immorality all around them. It was not uncommon for them to go to the temple created for that act of sexual immorality, that there was a religion behind it. It was embracing it. It was part of who they were. This is Rome. And can you imagine believers in Thyatira that came to know the Lord as their Savior? Okay, I'm talking about real people that have feelings and backgrounds. And they said, I want to change. I want this new Jesus that you guys are talking about. I want a life that is cleansed from the inside out. And they come to the church, but they have all of this baggage. They've probably been a part of the sexual immorality and the pagan idolatry taking place. They've been a part of it their whole lives, and they're coming into a new creation, something new in this tiny church. And if they are saying, I don't want to be a part of that lifestyle anymore. I don't want to be a part of Rome anymore. Why don't you be a part of Jesus? And they come into the church. It is more than probable. They still have family, friends, neighbors, coworkers who are still a part of the Roman culture, who are still embracing it all around them. It's everywhere. And now it's slithering its way into the church. And Jesus says, not here, not with my bride. I had a picture come to mind. I hope it's helpful for you. But imagine with me a bride on the day of her wedding. And she's in the dressing chambers. She's beautiful. She's getting her hair done and her makeup on. She's so excited to see her groom. And he's excited for her. They're excited for the ceremony to begin. And as she's preparing in the dressing chambers, in walks another woman. And this woman is beautiful. She has a, a beautiful gown. Her hair's done up too. And she has makeup. And 
She walks into the room. Now, the bride's confused. Who is this? She's not a part of the bridal party. I don't know her. And so the bride asks her, who are you? Why are you here? And the woman smirks and looks at her and says, I'm here to destroy your marriage. I'm here to dishonor you. Okay, it's a picture, right? What's that bride going to do? Confused? What? What are you doing? If she can pick up her phone, she's going to call her groom and say, Honey, there's a strange woman that walked in that wants to destroy our marriage, and she said she wants to dishonor me. Men, how's the groom going to respond? Get rid of her. Get her out of there. I'm calling some ushers right now. Actually, I'm calling the cops right now. We're going to usher this lady out. She has no place here with us. She will not hurt our ceremony. She will not dishonor you. You're beginning to see the word picture here. Jesus, the groom, is telling Thyatira, his bride, get rid of Jezebel. She cannot be tolerated among you. She cannot take place with your life. What if the bride in this picture were to tell the groom, no, honey, it's okay. It's okay. Maybe, maybe she's not here to do us harm. Maybe she can sit with us in the reception and help us cut the cake. What? No! The groom better be mad. Jesus is zealous for his bride, Ventura. Jesus is zealous for you. He's zealous for Thyatira. Even in the midst of a culture that is like this, Jesus is saying, you cannot be like them. And Jesus is going to judge the mistress. Jesus is going to judge Jezebel. As it says... He's given her time to repent, but she's not repenting. She's firm in her ways. She's stuck. She's committed to doing what she wants to do. Sexual immorality and idolatry. Jesus says, I'm going to throw her into a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. This wouldn't be like physical, literal offspring. This would be like followers of her. This would be like disciples of her. If you're being discipled by Jezebel, if you're following Jezebel, if you're acting like Jezebel, then you will be judged with Jezebel. Unless they repent of their works. The Lord says, and this is important, this is key, this is where it turns to us, so play Pay close attention to this one. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and will give to each of you according to your works. Why is that important? Because what Jesus, the Savior, the Lord is addressing there is not something that's out there. Jesus did something that he is very good at, and he does it while he's at the Sermon on the Mount, while he's with his disciples. Jesus goes from out there to right here. 
He always seems to dive in and dig hard at the heart of what it is that we're doing wrong. I'm going to guess that many of you are thinking, whew, yeah, I don't have to worry about this sermon because, number one, there are no temples that practice this pagan idolatry around me, and if there were, I certainly wouldn't go to it. So, clear, I'm going to fall asleep for the sermon. Be warned, how many times have we turned our bodies into the temple of pagan practices? Adults, there's children here. I have to be careful with how I speak, but I also want this point to be driven home. How many times, instead of going to a temple... Instead of going out there to practice sexual immorality or gratifying the flesh, we've turned to our own temples and made this the temple where we practice idolatry. This is the temple where we practice sexual immorality. Whether through gratifying the flesh or through pornography or whatever it is, we have become that temple in a way. Unless we repent and turn to the Lord. And if the Lord saves you, he cleanses you from that. He takes your heart of stone, he removes it, he puts in a heart of flesh, and he washes your body with pure water. It's the idea and the symbolism of what baptism is all about. We are a Baptist church. And that symbolism and that idea is you've been cleansed from that lifestyle. You're no longer like Rome. You're like Christ you don't smell like Rome. You smell like Christ. And that's the point. You can't be like them. You must be distinct from them. You must be separated and set apart wholly for the work of the Lord. We must be set apart for the work of God and the washing of his blood and the washing of the pure water, we are made a new creation. And the only way we can do that is by putting our faith and our trust in a Savior who died for us and loved us and gave himself for us. There is no washing yourself clean enough by yourself. You need Jesus to do it. And it's not simply the idea that Jesus offers something better. It's loving him enough do you love Jesus more than your sin? Do you love him and what he offers in his purity, in his grace, in his love? Do you love him enough to say, I can't go back to worshiping Jezebel? I can't tolerate Jezebel in my heart. I can't tolerate her in this temple because you have been bought. You are not your own. Paul says this in Corinthians, right? That your body is a temple now of the Holy Spirit. A temple made for him. A temple pure for him. Your body ought to be a vessel of holiness. Made for the Holy Spirit so that he can reside in you and so that he can be glorified through you. You are not your own, for your body has been bought with a price. Christian, this doesn't mean that we don't still struggle and we're not tempted. 
Oh my goodness, we know all too well. Every single one of us in here can relate to that. Young and old alike, we know what temptations are. Jesus himself knows what temptations are, meaning temptations are not sinful, right? What happens is when you act upon temptations, that's when sin just happened. You've given birth and conceived a child called sin, okay? But temptations are not sinful. We're battered by temptations daily. But you have been given authority over your flesh, and you have been given authority to overcome. I want to talk about this. Third point, the church in Thyatira has been given authority in two ways. This is beautiful. The church in Thyatira, and I would argue you as well, have been given authority individually, and you've been given authority corporately. Let me define these, what I mean. What does it mean that you've been given authority individually? Don't you know that the spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you? We fail to believe that. I fail to believe that and trust that sometimes. I can forget. I can just go on with my day. No, David, I have the spirit of the living God residing in me. He has given me authority. And what has he given me authority over? To say no to sin. While I am going to struggle and be tempted daily, I no longer have to say yes to it. I can now say no to it because the spirit of the living God has given me authority. That authority does not exist with the unbeliever. When they are tempted, they will fall. They are slaves in fetters to the passions and the desires of the flesh. To the believer, those chains have been released. My heart has been set free. As the song goes, my chains fell off. Listen, my heart was set free. I am a new creation in Christ. Therefore, when I am tempted, and oh, am I tempted, and so are you, and it drives and it irritates us in our minds, we can say, no, I don't have to. I can be set free. Lord, give me strength to say no. Let, let, me, let me actually pause here for just a second. It, it, there are some of you who feel like you can't let go of Jezebel. You feel like the chains are too thick. You feel like you can't get out. And you've been trying and trying and trying for years to acquit the desires of the flesh, the gratifications of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the mind. You've been trying, but it just seems like I can't let go. I know what that feels like. I do. Beating my head against the wall, being like, Lord, if you set me free, why am I not free? What does it mean to be free, to be free indeed? What does it mean? Let me tell you something. God has given you everything you need to have power and authority over your flesh. He has given you everything you need to have self-control. And we want to make all kinds of excuses like, no, my background, I've had addictions, my past. What do you think the believers in Thyatira had? 
Listen, Jesus has come to recreate you anew, a new person. And if you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you can't stop, if you feel like you are in a dark place, I just want to encourage you, I hope, with gentleness and a spirit of humility, in love, seek someone out. God has given you his people a church that loves you. No one's here. No one's going to judge you because we're all sinners at the foot of the cross. I know what God's done for me and I know what God's doing in me. How could I possibly judge you? And maybe that's overwhelming for you. Maybe you're someone that's like, I don't want to reach out. I'll tell you all the reasons I don't want to reach out. Number one, it's embarrassing it's humbling. It's not going to do any good. They're going to think of me as lesser. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. It's probably not going to work. Those are the reasons why we don't want to reach out to one another about sins because the devil has implanted these seeds in us that it's going to be of no good. Jesus has come to radically change that mindset, to tell you there is healing power in the blood. And that healing power is fellowship, not only with God, but with one another. Reaching out to a brother or a sister and asking them for prayer, asking them for help is important. It's, it's a way that we demonstrate our love for Christ as more important than our love for ourselves or our love for our sins. So I want to encourage you to confess to one another if you are able to, please, for your own healing. I will tell you it has done miracles in my heart and in my world. Maybe you're scared to reach out. Maybe you... You're not sure how to. Listen, it doesn't have to be a face-to-face -face conversation at first. Reach out with a text to someone you know and love. Reach out with an email and just say, can you pray for me? I'm struggling. And may the Lord work the fruit of repentance and healing in your heart. I also want to say one other thing. If you're on the receiving end of that conversation or that text, say someone reaches out to you and you got the text message or the email or you're receiving the conversation of someone opening up. Can I, can I tell you something? Just listen to them. They're vulnerable. They're hurting. Don't tell them what books they need to read next. Don't tell them the next steps to what fixed your life. Needs. Just listen to them. Don't speak. Because they're hurting and they need you to pray for them. Pray with them. Thank them for opening up with you. And you know what else? Do you know what else I'll challenge you to do? If you're on the receiving end, once you've prayed with them, say, okay, I need to open up with you too. Share your struggles. Encourage the worship of the Spirit to happen between brothers and sisters together as we confess sins, as we grow with one another. The leadership and elders here at Ventura, we, we, 
We can't expect you to confess sins to one another if we're not leading by example. We have to lead by example in confessing sins and saying that we're weak sinners. We need the Lord daily. You don't understand. 12 years ago when I came here, I've had a team of men praying for me. They're on a fast-paced text message where I text them, where I text them rapidly saying, I'm struggling with my thoughts right now. I'm desiring lusts. I want, to, I want to go to bad places. Please pray for me now. And my phone starts to go off. Ding, 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 ding. Do you know what it is? They're going to war for me. They're going to war for me. I have brothers who love me enough, but they wouldn't know to pray for me in that moment if I didn't send a message to them, if I didn't talk to them. These brothers, they know me well. They know that David Pollard is a sinner saved by grace. And I am thankful for them, and I find healing in the Lord through them, and I want to challenge each and every one of you if you are able to, in gentleness and love, I encourage you to open up with someone. Open up. Pray together. Encourage each other in Christ. You will experience healing. No longer allow Jezebel to be tolerated in your midst. And in there you will find power. Not weakness, power. So we have authority over our bodies. We have authority individually, but now let's talk about authority corporately. Do you guys know that Jesus has given the keys to the kingdom to you? I mean, that's just weird. What does that mean? What do they look like? How do I picture this? But it is so beautiful. He's given the keys of the kingdom through you. One, one thing that has driven us as a church to take obedience seriously, to help encourage one another on to grow in the Lord, is the fact that God has given authority to his church to practice discipline. Discipline should be happening all the time. It's actually a beautiful word. It's, it's, the root word is to disciple. We disciple one another by disciplining one another, by encouraging one another to grow in the Lord. Listen, we all should be changing. If you are where you are right now and you're think, you think you're perfect, uh, that's not a good place to be. All of us should be growing and sanctifying and growing in truth. Jonathan Sunday School class, there should be a walk of progression and growing in relationship with the Lord. Right? So we ought to be putting sins to death all the time. For the elderly and for the younger, sins must die our whole lives until the day we die and see him and become like him, perfect and pure. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. It's a beautiful passage. What does that even mean? Hoping in Christ, allowing the church to work. If you've been a member here at Ventura over the last three or four years, oh, you are very much acquainted with the sorrows and the pains and the tears of us seeing loved ones that we've cared about and walked with. 
as it says in Scripture, delivered over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that they might be saved. What do I mean by that? We've had to discipline people that we've loved out of our church because of their marriage to Jezebel. Because it wasn't simply that they tolerated her, they were married to her, they couldn't stop. And we as a church, we can't, we love you too much to allow you to continue. We as a corporate gathering make a decision to say we cannot tolerate Jezebel in our midst. So we encourage one another and we pray with one another and we help fight with one another. We pray for one another when the text messages come or when the emails happen or when the discussions happen so that Christ's purity might continue to grow in our midst doesn't mean we're perfect. We will never be perfect until the day we see Christ, but it means that we are making war with sin. God has given us, Jesus has given us authority. Listen to what he says. I say to, in verse 24, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira. Hear the distinction there? The rest of you in Thyatira. He's telling those are going to be judged of Jezebel, but to the rest of you who are not like Jezebel, who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I'm not putting any other burden on you. So there is this distinction there that in Thyatira there are those who are true, who are growing in their love, faithfulness, service, and in their perseverance to the Lord, but they're allowing Jezebel to reside with them. Jesus is telling them, basically, practice church discipline, be true to my holy name, get rid of Jezebel, and continue to grow and hold on to what I have given you. If there is someone who is committing and continuing to indulge in sexual immorality or immoral practices among you, give them time to repent. As he says, I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent. She does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. So what then? What do we do? You cannot tolerate her. You can't. You're being faithful. You're being faithful witnesses to say we cannot tolerate sin. We can't have Rome be a part of this church. The culture and the society is pagan. This church is set apart. We're an embassy for Christ outside of Rome, though we're right in the center of Thyatira. Ventura, we are an embassy for the Lord here in Holland, Michigan. Sure, our, our, our location might be more conservatively bent. We might see and experience more of the great blessings of where we live, but we still have to make war and know that sin isn't something that's out there. Sin is in here. Be keenly aware of that and mindful of that. Challenge yourself. Where am I blind to my own practices of idolatry? Lord, help us to grow. Help us to repent because there is great hope here. I gave her time to repent. But to those who do not hold to this teaching, who have not, haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan. That's kind of interesting, right? What, he says, as they say. So it must have been going around during that time frame, the so-called secrets of Satan. Well, it struck my mind, like, what? that's weird. Um, looking into it more, it was this embracing of Gnosticism, this Gnostic belief. And this is basically what it is in, in a nutshell. 
is that the Gnostics believe there is the spiritual, right? And, and the spiritual is what's holy and sacred. But what's physical, our flesh, is evil. Okay, so the spiritual is what's sacred and the physical is what's evil. Therefore, they were holding to this, some were holding to this idea in the church that our soul is secure in the Lord. We're totally fine. We're saved. We're going to experience the new heavens. But I'm going to give my body to do whatever I want to do here on earth because it doesn't matter. What? This again goes to that, that big question mark for us. You can't tolerate Jezebel. You can't let the mistress be there. We cannot give our bodies to sin thinking that our spirit is secure with the Lord in heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of Jezebel, you will be judged for it. But all of you who hold true to me, I'm not putting any other burden on you. That's actually really comforting. You know some of the other churches? He doesn't say that. Some of the other churches, you're going to suffer some of you are going to get imprisoned. Some of you are going to die. Thyatira? I'm not going to put any other burden on you? Now, potentially I'm reading into that too much. They are probably still going to suffer, but in much of the way I see it here, God is saying, continue to make war against Jezebel, and I will hold you. I will keep you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works to the end. I will give him authority over the nations. There it is. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I've received this from my father. We read Psalm 2, right? As we had the worship service. Psalm 2 is undeniably known throughout history and now that is God the Father speaking of God the Son. He is the one whom he is going to give authority to. Jesus is the one who will receive authority over the nations. This is true. But what does Jesus say here? I will give you authority over the nations just as I have received this from my Father. Jesus has the power to pass that authority that's been invested in him onto us. Or, better yet, he shares it with us. You see, when the bride marries the king, she inherits the rule and the authority alongside of the king. If the king is dubbed as ruler over the nations... His wife then takes that position of authority as well as they are one in flesh and unity and power. That, that should be amazing to us. That should strike us. What? We will have authority. No, no. Christ-like authority with Christ himself in the heavenlies. We will have authority over nations because Jesus himself welcomes us into the divine unity with him and the Father. He's not done with the church of Thyatira. He loves her. I will also give him the morning star. Jesus tells us in Revelation 22, he is the morning star. Jesus is giving us himself. So Ventura, in closing, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the scripture says to the churches. 
Don't be tempted to bow down to Jezebel. Don't be tempted to tolerate her. Bow down to Jesus. Do you remember what Satan told Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness? Satan took Jesus on top of that high mountain to view the nations. If it was spiritual or physical, however it was, they were able to view the nations. And what did Satan say to Jesus? If you bow down to me, I will give you authority over the nations. Jesus doesn't bow down. He had a harder road to go because he was going to purchase you and me. So he denies him. Now that Jesus has been ascended and sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father, the rightful king, he tells you and me, don't bow down to Satan. Cling to me, and I will give you authority over the nations. I will give you what was promised to me, but I have the power to do it. Do you believe me? Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are with us, that you help us. We thank you that you are patient with us. We ask that, Father, you would please encourage us, one another, today with the power of the Spirit to open up with one another about sins, to feel the healing power of Christ's blood and forgiveness. To know and to hope in the fact that you will one day give us authority and that you have given us authority in many ways now, but one day it will be culminated in the person of Christ. We long to see you. I think I speak for all of us in here. I just say we can't wait. But we know that for now, we have a duty, and a duty to be distinct from the world and worship you. A duty to cling to the cross. We thank you that Jesus came to die on the cross in our place to satisfy the law's demands. And to you we give all the thanks, all the glory, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.